From Next47, this is the AI Unveil podcast with me, Gaurav Kota. Today, I'm speaking with Jorn Vanisakar and Julian Steele at Henchman, a legal contract drafting and negotiating platform powered by AI. Jorn learned some valuable lessons from his first startup. The product was too broad, needed customization, and they didn't invest enough in mining insights from data. This time around, he and his co-founders wanted to build something that was truly plug-and-play and solves a narrow problem for end users by analyzing data. With this lens, they eventually decided to build Henchman. None of the founders had any legal experience, and Jorn believes this beginner's mindset has been a significant advantage in an industry ripe for disruption. It was a forcing function to obsess over speaking to and learning from customers. Their product is mainly a word plugin. As lawyers draft complex contracts, Henchman provides edits and suggestions based on precedents, what someone in the firm has written in the past. With over 150 customers already, it's working, and their focus is to make this narrow product deeper and better. More integrations with backend systems and better AI and insights. Julian then speaks about specific features and their federated approach to AI. One big change he sees in building AI-first products is the amount of time he spends monitoring the output, customer feedback, and impact. It's around 50% compared to 20% in his prior roles. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's dive in. Welcome to the AI Unveil podcast. Today, we're joined by Jorn Vanizakar, co-CEO and founder, and Julian Steele, head of product at Henchman, a contract drafting and negotiating platform powered by AI. Jorn, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, Julian, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. I'm very excited about this conversation today. Let's get started. Uh, Jorn, for those who might not know, could you give us a brief summary of what Henchman does? Yeah, so Henchman is a legal tech solution uh, specifically for uh, legal professionals that draft and negotiate complex contracts. So typically, you know, M&A lawyers, corporate lawyers, real estate lawyers uh, is, is who we serve. And typically when those type of lawyers draft and negotiate complex contracts, they tend to work with precedents, uh, things they've written in the past. And so very typical behavior is that they would then look for those precedents, scroll through a lot of folders, scroll through a lot of contracts, looking for that one thing they've written in the past, or they start asking a colleague, have you ever done something like that? Very recognizable um, kind of pattern, but also frustration with our target audience. But I think the true opportunity that we grasp uh, very well at Henchman is on an organization level, the fact that you know these legal teams, these law firms, they sit on so much data, so many contracts, uh, often super unstructured. And so really use, you know, using the right technology such as Henchman to use that data as a lever to you know, have better client services, to have to attract uh, and enable your lawyers in a better manner is really what we're grasping uh, today. The way we solve that problem is basically by connecting to their DMS. So we, we do that in three simple steps. So first of all, we connect to the DMS. It doesn't matter how structured or unstructured it is. There's no preparation required from our customers. And then in the second phase, Henchman recognizes what are contracts and what are not contracts. And so then we will start to isolate all the clauses and definitions from those contracts. For each of our customers, these can easily be a couple of millions of clauses and definitions. We also recognize what is metadata. We can create metadata in the process. And then, of course, in the last phase for the end user, 
our end user can access all of those clauses and definitions. They can search through the vast amount of clauses and definitions they've built over time within Microsoft Word or Outlook. So a henchman on the outside for the, uh, for the end user is really just a plugin in Microsoft Word or Outlook. You know, obviously a very important problem you're solving, but tell us a little bit more about the founding story. How did it all get started? Why did you feel compelled to start this idea? You've been an entrepreneur before. How we got to, you know, Henchman Hall. So we, so Gilles and I, so two of the three co-founders, Gilles and I, we know each other for years, like I think 15 to 20 years almost. Um, and so we had a, a previous company, which was an HR tech company called Intool. Um, it was very much the soft side of HR. It was like employee engagement measurements, uh, performance management software, learning management software. Um, and eventually, you know, it was acquired by Unit 4 in 2019 and really taught us a lot. I think we we had a very good idea of, it, definitely we wanted to do something, you know, different together, but we really understood that it was a nice to have product, right? It, it didn't really solve a big, big pain, a specific pain. We had to tailor our, you know, product based on the needs of the clients. It was very, uh, how do you say, there wasn't really a clear product market fit, I would say. Um, and so we said like, okay, we're going to solve one thing and we're going to solve it good. And it has to be a, you know, really big problem with the, with the end user. And also what inspired us was we had this competitor, uh, who's called uh, Beacon and they just did, uh, employee engagement measurement, but very data driven. Like they did it, they were vertical in terms of strategy and we were very horizontal. Uh, and they took the market. They were acquired by Workday for $800 million, uh, right? And so that really inspired us um, uh, in terms of what we wanted to pursue next. And so then we ended up in sales. We did a lot of RFPs. We did a lot of, uh, let's say, requests for proposals, tenders. Uh, typically, you get questions uh, that are very similar to questions you've gotten from a previous uh, kind of tender. And so looking for previous given answers to those questions was also part of the salesperson's job. Uh, and we figured let's build a software that matches questions to, you know, answers you've given in the past based on what's in your database. And so we had lunch with the lawyers that assisted us in the acquisition process of, of Intuo. And they said like, guys, this is what we do on a daily basis. If you can solve this for us, you have gold. And that's what happened. I mean, we, we, we built our first prototype in the summer of 2020. And here we are today, uh, having more than 150 customers in more than 30 countries across the globe. That's fantastic. I mean, the sales and RFP market is definitely interesting, but, you know, solving complex transactions from legals, as you said, sounds like a huge opportunity. And I, I love the fact that you had this core learning from your first startup saying, maybe we were too broad and we had to customize per customer. So yep. we're going to be data-driven and narrow. And as you said, you're an Outlook plugin as far as the end user is concerned. A lot goes under the, the covers. And that made you start in a certain domain, but some of the principles still apply in Henchman, which I'm sure we'll talk about. So that's a, it's a great story. And, and you know, it's just uh, shows some of the benefits of uh, repeat entrepreneurs. Um, and of course, then you brought on Julian. Uh, Julian, I think you joined earlier this year. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and why did you decide to join Henchman? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, indeed, I joined earlier this year um, and my background has been in software. So I uh, was at a fintech company, um, it's called Raidu. I helped it grow from actually the stage where Henchman is today to um, a lot, a lot bigger. Uh, and before I had uh, my own company and I've been uh, in product uh, all my career. Uh, I love building software that solves uh, problems. Um, 
I've done it in fintech, edtech, uh, now in legal tech. And uh, it's been super exciting to be part of this team and, and on this ride. Um, I think I joined the team when uh, LLMs, ChatGPT, uh, and a whole AI wave started. And uh, it's been really interesting to see how we are incorporating uh, that into our product and, and really building uh, unique solutions to problems that lawyers all around the world are, are facing. Um, so yeah, very excited to talk about that today as well. But um, yeah, uh, hell of a ride uh, already this year. Uh, yeah. And be really cool to be, to be part of this team. Jorn, you um, talked a little bit about what your product does today, and I'm sure we'll get into it more. But let's zoom out to kick things off. Um, 10 years from now or five years from now, what do you think the contract drafting, especially for complex transactions, will look like? In 10 years from now, there's still going to be humans involved. That Just to be clear, it's so based on expertise, on, on tactics, on the, the processes that these legal professionals engage in. So that's not going to change. When you look at a typical law firm, the partners and the senior people are adding that value-added services, which is the kind of building the relationships and 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 and. I think what I'm hearing a little bit is that technology can actually help, you know, automate some of the things that you rely perhaps on the junior people, but even empower them even more so that even more people can focus on the value added and building relationships and thinking about business opportunities. Exactly. Predominantly, when I've worked with lawyers, the predominant business model is charging on an hourly basis. What are your thoughts on, does that change? Does that stay the same? I mean, yeah, there's the, the death of the billable hour is something that's been claimed, I think, for the past 20 years. I haven't been around that long in legal, uh, <laughs> but uh, that's that's what I sometimes hear from uh, um, older experienced people. Um, but I think the reason that, uh, yeah, I mean, it's under pressure. Eh? I mean, there's law firms that are experimenting with that. Uh, and often, you know, VCs like yourselves um, challenge us like why is legal tech existing because you know there's the billable hour why would they be interested in becoming more efficient and I think the, the way we look at it at a henchman is that there's three forces at play at the moment that are cannot be ignored uh, by law firms if they want to remain relevant um, but also are fueled with the technological advancements that we see today like Gen AI and whatnot and so first of all it's the fact that clients are definitely getting more demanding. They want to be served better, faster, potentially cheaper. Uh, and then secondly, there's talent. There is a, an undeniable war for legal talent going on at the moment where, you know, in order to attract and retain that best talent, you need to have the best tools and expertise in place. And then again, I'm going to repeat myself. It's the data. The last bit mm -hmm. is, it's, it's, you know, that data has so much potential to act as a lever uh, for for your clients, but also your lawyers within the organization, and so those elements are, you know, the reason that legal tech can exist, and I think it's also the reason why the billable hour uh, model is being questioned at times. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And you know, uh, you the first point you mentioned was that clients are getting more demanding, and across all three points, there was this acknowledgement that technology is now here and can make an impact. That having said, my wife's a lawyer. I have lots of friends that are lawyers. And what I've noticed over the last past five, 10 years is that cohort or they're typically slow to adopt technology, right? Uh, for a variety of reasons, right? Today, what do you perceive their sentiment and attitude towards technology, both as a risk and potentially an opportunity? So since, since you know, ChatGPT, like, there was a wave of uh, law firms and legal professionals you know, getting into that awareness phase, like what should we do with this? How will this fit in? Like there are a lot of nervousness, I think. But since then, since March, let's say February, March, 
the market has matured significantly. Uh, and I think there's a lot of AI kind of tasks for forces that have been kind of started. Uh, there's a lot more education happening within the firms of how it could help. And of course, there's risk risks attached to that as well, right? But I think, um, yeah, taking everything into account, doing nothing is not an option anymore. Makes sense. Let's let's move gears uh, to henchmen. Um, you talked about henchmen, the value proposition, and the fact that you connect to knowledge management systems, but the end user experience is a plugin. Um, um, can we talk a little bit more about what are the use cases that you're solving today that are extremely inefficient um, and you believe the platform can significantly improve today and in the near term? I think the the main use cases that we we help solve is it within the drafting and reviewing of these complex and bespoke contracts. Um, the type of contracts that require a lot of uh, unique uh, bespoke work and um, that's sort of uh, separated into these two processes. So first drafting and then reviewing. And the way you can see it is that, uh, Jorn was already mentioning it before, uh, lawyers who work on those often look at precedent information to, in, uh, to sort of incorporate and, and complete that agreement. So they often um, sort of think through, okay, once uh, when have we written this before? Uh, or bother a colleague. Hey, I have this situation uh, and, and maybe send a whole email do you have an agreement or a clause uh, that could solve that? And that is a very inefficient, time-consuming uh, process. So Henshin, let's say at its core, uh, uh, solves that particular case yeah. because we're right into Word. Uh, whenever you're looking into a new clause and you want to access your precedent information, you can just fire up a search query. Um, and um, by applying the right filters, uh, we can you can find exactly what you're looking for. Really. Uh, going into your vast database of uh, precedents. That's within the drafting space. Uh, within the reviewing um, use cases, we help you um, navigate through your documents, finding uh, alternative clauses to uh, a clause that you have received from your counter uh, counterparty, maybe helping you benchmark that to a standard that you have uh, within your law firm or that, it, that you're typically using. Uh, so. Let's say those are the two main use cases within drafting and reviewing uh, that we we help yep. um, lawyers um, day to day. I think interesting to add is that you would you would think that efficiency would be the main benefit. Like we do regular uh, surveys with our customers, and you know we were expecting speed to be the number one benefit that they recognize, mm -hmm. but it's actually the um, kind of access to knowledge that our customers see as the main benefit of Henchman. It's really unlocking that collective knowledge within the organization. Um, and I think that that's what Henchman is today, what Julian is describing and what we're really passionate about is because we understand their database so well. We know their database better than anyone else does anyway, right? Um, we will be able to match what they're working in currently in words to similar contexts from the past, right? So to give a very concrete example, imagine that you're working on a transaction uh, and it's uh, we always use the example of solar, a solar panel transaction. Well, we would then recognize, we're very close to this actually, recognize in your entire database, well, these are similar transactions in the past and we will suggest clauses and definitions that come from these type of transactions, for instance, right? So that it's, it's all coming together so nicely in a world where you won't even need to input any search queries anymore. We will assume uh, certain things within that process. 
Yeah, what I find interesting is that the last sentence you said, we will assume what to suggest or insert in the flow of work, which is which is which is really really powerful. Um, one just question I had on that is we talked about you know benchmarks and finding relevant precedents. Is that predominantly for the individual who's doing the work to see the list of options, or there is also maybe at a higher level review with say, look, we're going to propose this to the customer. I want to be confident with what we're proposing is within precedence or within what we recommend. What's the kind of thinking mindset around that part of the kind of review process? There are parts uh, of that included. So for example, one of the things that we are also able to give you or, or show to the lawyer are commonality. So how common is this language uh, within your entire database? Um, giving sort of a sense of, okay, is this something closer to the benchmark or very negotiated and a unique language? And those are insights that you would not be able to find without Henchman. Um, and there are a couple of things like that that um, really helps you look at your data in your database in a very unique way. We talked about the the user experience. Um, when it comes to connecting to my knowledge base, what is the typical time it takes to set up a customer? Does it take a lot of time to look at the database, understand the models, tag the condo? Is it almost instant because it's all AI generated? Would love some context there. Time to value uh, and is, is very key for us, and that needs to be immediate. Our internal record uh, for a customer going live is actually within 20, 24 hours, from signature to the, to the lawyer using uh, henchman within a word uh, was really within 24 hours. And then this shows how, uh, how fast that could go. Um, if, so basically it's a plug and play connection with your DMS. There's a couple of clicks that need to happen to give authorization between Henchman and your DMS. And then everything happens in the background. Um, we process um, a vast number of contracts on a daily basis. And it can become, yeah, it can be uh, very fast. Great. And can you give me a couple of examples of the features? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of features uh, where we've incorporated AI uh, this year. Um, it's First of all, it's understanding the context of the lawyer much, much better. So uh, it's super important. Um, lawyers are always working in a very particular context. The deal that they're supporting, the client they're supporting, it's always different. So understanding uh, more and more what type of contract they're working on, in which applicable law, for what type of deal value, um, the lawyer itself, in which practice area they're practicing, maybe the colleagues that they're often collaborating with, and all understanding that to be able to match that to more relevant search results uh, is where we incorporate a lot of uh, a lot of AI. Um, another is uh, finding unique insights uh, while you're uh, understanding or reading particular clauses, and particularly when you're comparing clauses with each other. We've introduced a feature where um, imagine you're comparing two clauses with each other, a clause that comes from a counterparty and a clause from your search results. And if you're doing a red line comparison, it might be completely green or red because it's a completely different text. But actually, it might mean the same things. Uh, using AI, we can actually create a table uh, that will list all of the key things, all the key topics that are mentioned within both clauses and show you the key differences between them. Super, super powerful because you don't have to read both two texts uh, yourself and sort of make up your mind what are the key differences here. AI can help you do that. Yeah, it's 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 great that you can 
look at the semantic semantic differences between two sentences or clauses than just the word by word differences, which I can only imagine is critically important in the in the user experience and, and value that you provide. Um, let's let's kind of look under the hood a little bit. Julian, can you talk a little bit about which models do you use for different use cases? Do you use multiple models? And, and then how do you customize or train those, uh, those models? It's a big question. Um, the way we think about it, uh, and, and we have been already from the start, is we really need to look at it from a multi-LLM, multi-AI approach. Uh, um, not only JPT came out at the beginning of the year, also a lot of other uh, providers were uh, coming up with models. So we really um, started preparing ourselves for that. So what we did is we set up a team that uh, is responsible for evaluating LLMs uh, for every use case we have. And what they do is they yeah. actually build evaluation scenarios. That's how we call them. And uh, it's looking at the particular use cases that we have and what are the, all the possible scenarios that could happen within that. It's not, it's not um, finite. It's obviously in, infinite what could happen. But uh, there's sort of a set of these scenarios. And then that helps us evaluate what is the right model for the right use case. Because obviously, I mean, there's a lot of different models out there and you might want to use a model that has a, back, a big context window for large pieces of text and you're uh, okay that it's performing slower and you might want to use uh, another model that is higher in terms of um, understanding um, other languages but uh, maybe accepts a smaller context, right? So. Um, just to give some examples, so there's a, a range of criteria that we are looking at to evaluate what model to use in which scenario, um, and um, and it's a continuous process. And there's models coming out and improvements coming out on a continuous basis. And ultimately, it's it's our responsibility to make sure that we're um, yeah producing high quality uh, every single time. Yono, Julian, are there any cost considerations that you need to think about? You know, some of these training can be uh, expensive. Using even APIs could be expensive. Does that play into your decision making? And if so, what do you do about it? Yeah, maybe I'll answer it first. So, so we don't train models per se. So we we fine tune, and uh, it's not that we need to sort of spin up a, a big server and and need, let's say, large computable computing power to to be able to do that. Um, monitoring costs is obviously uh, it's a it's a part of that um, as well. Um, but it's just sort of factored into our just cost of goods sold, um, I'd say, and uh, and it's taking into account of let's say new shipments of features. And then just closing things out, what you know you've been doing this now for a few years. What are the biggest learnings or challenges that you faced uh, when it comes to building you know great products, especially the ones that de depend on the quality of the AI technology? So I've been doing products all my life or all my career. Uh, professional career and um, putting features live and then sort of monitoring the impact of it um, has been a part of that. Let's say 20% of my time uh, in the past. Now it's almost 50% of my time. Uh, so because um, with large language models, there are so many ways in which you can go. And I love just going through the metrics and seeing how it's performing uh, because ultimately what I often see is like customers are making features for us. They're Trying, they're sort of seeing, okay, I'm, I can actually do a couple of things here. And then if you go through the logs, they're saying, oh, wow, customers are actually building features for us. And we can then sort of see, okay, now let's make that a bigger, a, a better user experience and let's incorporate that. So 
that has been a big change and a big learning to like put something live and really take a lot of time going into the details, how it's performing, how people are interacting with it, and then uh, doubling down on on what's working and incorporating and making that user experience and sort of building on top on top of that. I've heard the term that software is going from deterministic to probabilistic, which means there are just so many different variants of how it can be used and how it behaves. And so switching that focus from 20% post-production, analyzing what people are doing to 50% is a, is a very common trend. Um, uh, yeah, Jorn, from your perspective? Well, I think um, maybe like um, zooming out a bit. So when we, we started Henchman with uh, three co-founders who have no legal background. And I've been in tech also, I've been an entrepreneur for 10 years, let's say. Um, and I know they always say you have to interact and listen to your customer and to your prospect and rarely founders do it enough, right? Uh, and I think because we have no legal background whatsoever, we were really forced to interact with our end users to understand uh, the legal profession a lot better than we did, right? And it, I think it's one of the successes. I mean, you could say it's a weakness, but I really think it's it's a strength that we have today. And I think it's also kind of it's um, it's the main strength that any product owner can have as well, like Julian, right? It's really being obsessed with the use case, being obsessed with the end user. Um, and I think you know, as opposed to legal professionals starting a business like Hanschman, like I'm I'm generally asking myself the question now in this conversation, like would they do a better job? Would they build a better henchman? Um, and I, 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 I'm not convinced they would be building a better henchman because they would build henchmen from their own experiences. They would assume too many uh, elements. And and so what, at the very beginning of henchmen, it was so clear. Like two things were super clear. Like first of all, legal professionals have very little time, right? And they're not the most tech savvy people out there. So when you're building legal tech, when you're building tech for legal professionals, you know you don't have to build anything that they have to set up because you know it's going to be difficult to get it set up. It's going to be difficult to get it sold. So from the beginning, we were obsessed with building something that is truly plug and play and it has a very short time to value, right? And I think even in those initial phases, uh, and I'm, I'm questioning like whether a legal professional would have made that reflex or would have been that honest with him or herself uh, when building a henchman. And I think, yeah, it, that's why at Henchman we're super obsessed with our customers and, and understanding everything they do and why they do it. And from a position where we can say, well, we, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a legal professional, but I really want to understand what it is that, you know, drives you. And, and, uh, so in that sense, I think it's, a an important learning that we were forced to apply being obsess over your customer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in one of the companies I work for, you used to say Shoshin or a beginner's mindset and how important that was, especially you're in an industry that's highly disruptive to begin with. So sometimes being open to the what if scenarios, what if the possibilities can be an advantage. And of course, you need to layer in, you know, understanding the customer. That's where you have people like Julian, who I bet spend a lot of time understanding and speaking to to lawyers. But uh, yeah, uh, that uh, makes complete sense. Um, Yon, we, we, you started the conversation talking about 10 years from now how humans will still be involved in the contract drafting process and how across the legal landscape there's more of a push to leveraging data, leveraging technology to fo focus more on value add, right? Now, looking out, let's not say 10 years, but five years from now, where do you fit see henchmen being? Will you still be very narrowly focused, right? A Outlook plugin 
did you know very intelligent outlook plugin or do you see doing more and more services to kind of capture the broader opportunity um so we will always be a software company right and so in mm-hmm. terms of uh, expanding on services is not something that we would focus on but we would you know we are working with partners at the moment to see how we can help each other out there um i think henchman will always be where our end user is uh, and I think, you know, having that seamless experience and offering that almost, you know, being proactive uh, where and when is needed is really what we are obsessing about here at Henchman, um, is understanding what your next move might be. I think a very good analogy is, is you know, when you Google bakery, it will show you the bakery closest to you, right? It uh, you, you never asked for it, but it assumes that, right? And I think that's that's where we're going with Henchman uh, full on uh, in a way. And by building a really powerful ecosystem is something that we're, we're investing in at the moment, right? Where you can toggle between your own database, but you could also toggle between public databases. And so just offering all of that is, uh, is going to be something powerful that doesn't necessarily require a super horizontal product uh, strategy or approach. But of course, we're going to expand slightly on, on those elements. And something that we're very passionate about is um, is knowledge. Uh, um, we have all we have a lot of large law firms that have invested a significant amount of resources in building up a, a knowledge base. And what they are faced with is uh, the challenge of distribution. It's uh, you know how do we get that to our lawyers? And and that's something I, I can't disclose too much. But that's something that we're really obsessing about. Uh, uh, lately, and we really feel there's a great opportunity there where Henchman is already um, kind of as intuitive and where you are when you need it, and kind of enabling those knowledge managers to have that uh, past knowledge to be in the same place in a way. That's great. And you know, I'll certainly be tracking your progress over the months and quarters and, and years. Thank you both for this very insightful conversation. Before we end, though, I want to ask you a couple of fun questions. This is probably for both of you. Maybe, Julian, you can go first. Outside of legal, let's not talk about legal. What AI use cases are you most excited by? Um, very good question. I would sort of split it in short-term and long-term. Short-term, uh, especially in helping you navigate through certain application and through certain uh, large set of data or large set of uh, use cases. So I often talk with other BM- B2B um, product managers who um, have very complex applications. And I think uh, large language models in Gen AI can help a lot uh, in terms of navigating you through that. Um, and then I think long-term, very excited about how we're going to have a, a sort of a personal assistant, uh, each of us, uh, and that is going to be there by your side and sort of solve all of the uh, sort of uh, inefficiency or sort of the the low value work that each of us are doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought Jon already has a personal assistant, but for, I guess for the rest of us, that'll yeah. definitely be a great use case. Jon <laughs> <laughs> and Julian, once again, thank you for coming on the AI Unveiled podcast and sharing your wisdom and insights. Very much appreciated. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs>